Welcome to Eat, Drink, Innovate, the podcast about food startups, innovators and entrepreneurs who are making their mark in Australia's dynamic food and beverage industry. The future of food is happening here. Come join Susie White at the table to eat, drink and innovate. Uh-huh. Hello everyone, I'm Susie White and welcome to episode 20 of the Eat, Drink, Innovate podcast. Well, it's a special wrap-up episode today. I'm celebrating the end of season one. So if you're a bit of a control freak, this episode's probably going to bother you because I'm breaking with our traditional format. Instead of interviewing a feed entrepreneur, startup or innovator, today I'm going to be sharing the five limiting beliefs about starting a food and beverage business and how to overcome these. Now, everything I share today is based on the combined wisdom of the dozens of successful food business founders that I've spoken with throughout the year. I regularly ask my podcast guests the question, what advice would you offer someone who wants to start up a food or beverage business? And so today, I'm going to share with you their honest and heartfelt responses. So let's kick off with the first limiting belief about starting up a food and beverage business. Number one, that there is a right time to start. Sarah Holloway from Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar gave us one of her favorite quotes, and that was, doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. And she urges people, just try, just start. Don't let the doubt make you talk yourself out of it. If you just give it a go, you'll probably figure out how much more capable you are and how much better your idea is than you actually think. Just get started. Don't wait for the perfect moment. So it seems as though just starting a business is sometimes the very hardest thing to do. And the emotional barrier is your own internal monologue, that inner voice we all have telling us, it's a crazy plan, or you're not good enough, or... It's just the not the right time. Corinne Noyes of Madame Flavor Specialty Teas said, I meet a lot of people who are thinking about maybe starting something. And as I get older, I think life is a journey of exploring and learning. And if you can see what looks to be a good opportunity, even if maybe you've got the worries and the doubts, I think just take the next steps and see where it leads you. And I also particularly like the words of wisdom from Sheila Barak of Well and Good. She said, just seeing my dad start with nothing from his garage with absolutely nothing, no money and nothing really big happened. He just did it. So thinking about this advice from those founders, is there a right time to start a business? Well, yes, it's now because if you have that longing that slow burn of building frustration or even that panicky sense of urgency that you need to do something different than the work you do now, then the time to start is now. What I've learned from the successful business founders is that most of them started at a terrible time. They'd either just had a baby or they'd moved houses, they'd moved states or countries, that had a previous business fail, they were really young and inexperienced, or they started really late in life. They had a family relying on them, or they already had a really high-pressure full-time job. No one I spoke to started a business after a really comfortable, cushy redundancy payout, or won the lottery, or had a clear idea of what their next year would be like. 
if anything, the common theme seems to be that they were already in a period of great flux when so many pieces of their lives were already changing. And in a way, this disruption helped them overcome the self-doubt to start their own business. So... If you're facing the limiting belief that there is a right time to start a business and you're waiting for some amazing sign of this, I'd encourage you just to remember this quote from Zig Zagler, and that is, you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. Let's move on to the second limiting belief about starting up a food and beverage business. And that is number two, you need more time to prepare before you act. Christy Lakito from the Wonder Snack Company said, In the first four years of business, I waited for a lot of things to happen. In retrospect, I think part of the reason the business grew slower than I wanted was because I waited too long for the business to expand and scale. And I'm learning now, it's actually better if you just go for it and figure it out on the way, rather than making sure you've got everything ready first. Sarah Holloway from Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar said, You don't actually know what the perfect product is until you get your first iteration out because it's feedback from the real market that's going to tell you what they want. You can't actually make progress until you've started. And Susie Daly of the Daly Potato Company and Hellfire Bluff Distillery said, you really need to go in with your eyes wide open and know that there's a market at the end. That's the biggest thing. While Sheila Barak from Well and Good suggested, everyone talks about putting together a big business plan. I think the plan is a one-pager of your vision, not a huge thesis about your business. You've got to roll it out and see what happens. So the common theme here is that starting your own food business is a real case study in learning by doing. Did you grow up as I did, being told, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail? Well, look, that's certainly true for school when you're facing an exam and you haven't done the studying in advance. But in the real world of business, it's actually the opposite of what most entrepreneurs would counsel. Instead, they're learning by doing. Because in the world of business, thinking and planning and researching at a desk or online will only get you so far. So, The suggestion here is don't sit around doing desk research and planning for ages. That plan is probably not going to be worth the paper it's written on in three months' time. Instead, capture your thoughts quickly and find a way to build a low-cost benchtop sample or a mock-up of your idea or product and get it out there in front of your customers as soon as possible so you can determine whether you have a product or an idea that anyone wants and that anyone will pay you for then by all means, go back and have a laugh a year or two later about how much things are different from your initial business plan. So if you're facing the limiting belief that you need more time to prepare before you act, the mantra to remember here is do a little, learn a lot. Let's move on now to our third limiting belief about starting a food or beverage business. And that is number three. You can do it all by yourself. We all hear and read those stories of successful and famous solopreneurs, but the reality seems to be that while they may be the face and the front of their business, there's usually a hardworking support team behind them. Talia Minot from Made With Raw Love said, there's always going to be challenges, especially when you're a small business. I think it's really important to have support and a network around you from people who have done it all before. 
while Krista Watkins from Natural Evolution said, I think it's important to be really careful about who you accept advice from. You know, we do love our friends and family, but they're not always the most qualified to give us advice. So go out and interview some people and find out if they're the right fit for you and your business before you take their advice. Jackie Harvey of Yarra Valley Gourmet Foods said, Surround yourself with positive people, encouraging people, people that you know love what you do and encourage you to keep going. Morgan Hipworth of Bistro Morgan said, I couldn't have done this without the amazing support of my parents. It's that awesome support network that will help massively, whether it be physically or mentally. And so this third limiting belief is really about the importance of gathering a support network of people to work alongside you, of a group who's going through a similar entrepreneur challenge and who will support you in both your professional and personal life. Emily Shen from Bake It Box said, make the time to find your tribe. Find people you can talk to and share who are also doing the same things you're doing. It makes such a big difference to have other people there and to know you're not alone. So touching on that point that many of these business founders have made, building up a support network is so important because being an entrepreneur is lonely and mentally fatiguing. You've got to drive yourself. You set your own agenda. You plan your own daily tasks and you deal with many rejections and setbacks along the way. And taking on all of this alone is daunting and simply not sustainable. The statistic is that around 90% of small businesses don't last longer than five years. And I read a great article recently that said, actually, that's not because of business failure. That's because most founders burn out trying to do everything by themselves. So here's the action. Go join a co-working office. Approach your local council about your region's network of small businesses. Go find a food innovation center. Join an industry association. Just get out there and find a network that will support you. And you'll also need other people because the reality is no one can be an expert at everything. I don't know about you, but food entrepreneurship isn't usually the first thing you've done. If you've come out of the corporate world like I have, you may have a really narrow job function like finance or marketing, supply or human resources. And when the time comes to run your own business, you only know about 30% of the things you're suddenly responsible for. And that's when you really need the expertise of others. Ashley Whitaker from Snack Proud had a great example of this. She said, forecasting, inventory management, and the logistics side of things. I don't have a lot of experience in that. And for any startup businesses, being able to build relationships with people is so important because the guys that helped me out with the warehousing, they did me such a favor and I didn't even know them, but I think I must have connected with them early on and gained their trust. So if you're facing our third limiting belief that you can do it all by yourself, then just remember that classic piece of advice. If you want to go fast, sure, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. It's time for a quick break now. When we come back, you'll hear more about the last two limiting beliefs that just might be holding you back from starting or succeeding in your own food and beverage business. I'd like to say a quick thanks to today's sponsor who helped make this podcast possible, the Monash Food Innovation Centre. 
They can help you fast track and de-risk your new products in the Australian market or export markets like China. Did you know that only one in 10 food and beverage products survive the first year of launch? That means nine out of 10 fail. If you'd like to be one of those businesses that gets it right, then the Monash Food Innovation Center can help. It has cutting edge technologies, product development services, and runs capability workshops to upskill business owners and employees in the art and science of food innovation. Whether you're a food startup or a large corporation, check them out at www.foodinnovationcenter.com and see how they can help grow your business through innovation. Welcome back. Today, I'm talking about the top five limiting beliefs of food and beverage startups and offering words of wisdom and advice based on the experiences of my season one food entrepreneur guests. So let's go on to the fourth limiting belief when starting a food and beverage business. And that is number four, it's easy money and a fast track to success. Oh, I'm sorry, but this is going to feel like the harsh slap of reality now. But if you're starting up a food business and expect to be a billionaire like Mark Zuckerberg in 12 months time, it really doesn't matter how amazing your product is, you're in for a nasty shock. All the business founders I've been speaking to have taken at least two or three years to truly optimize their product offer and route to market. It's taken them about five years or more to scale up their businesses. And now the multi-million dollar industry leading businesses I know have been operating for anywhere from 10 to 20 plus years in their industries. So if you're after quick fame and fast money, starting up a food business is not the easy path to this, but you just might find something more rewarding and self-fulfilling. Will Cook from Harvestbox says on this topic, it's a hard life. It's very challenging. It's very emotional and up and down. The easier life would be to stay where you are. But if you're passionate about something, give it a go because you're always going to regret not doing that. And Andy Fist of Kui Snacks adds to this, saying, There's a lot to say about how satisfying it's been. I'm really proud to have created a little company. But I wouldn't want people to think it's not stressful starting a business because it really is. I've got just as much material about the hard times. But the grass is always greener. I talk to my mates in corporate and they've got some semblance of financial stability. And I'm like, oh, that would be nice. And of course, they're looking at me thinking, that would be nice to do something you're passionate about. And I love the advice from Sally Jones of Gippsland, Jersey. And she says, you can get overwhelmed on the journey, especially being a startup when you're throwing everything at it. You've got no resources or you're just flying on a whim. It's certainly not for the faint hearted being an entrepreneur or startup. You've just got to have a certain amount of energy that you throw into every single day. And I feel like it's a really good time here to suggest that you don't bank the family house on the immediate success of your food business and that you really do need to put some financial supports in place in case it doesn't all work out. That's why many people start their food business as a passion project, a hobby, a side hustle, or just a lifestyle choice while they source their income elsewhere until their business model has been proven. This can certainly put less pressure on your business and it allows you to reinvest your profits 
just don't assume from the start that your startup business will immediately become your primary source of income. On this point, Nick Davidson of Matcha Maid and Matcha Milk Bar said, a lot of people go, I've got this idea. So they quit their job and they try and do their idea. We were scaling up and Sarah was still working six months as a corporate lawyer into the business journey. That money we were making in revenue had to go back into stock. If she wasn't working, where was that money going to come from? So make sure that when you're cutting any cash flow off, you can still survive because otherwise it's going to be a very short business journey. And Nathan Wakeford of Samaj Fine Foods urges people to improve their business acumen. He said, I think a lot of people make the mistake because they're passionate about food. They think they can be successful in a food business. That's only one ingredient. The other side is having business acumen and strength. The businesses that are really successful have the right business model, market awareness of the opportunity, and fundamentally know how to grow a business. So there are clear upsides to being a food entrepreneur and starting your own business. You get to work on the things you truly feel passionate about. You are setting the course of your own future. You're employing people and creating a legacy. Just remember to do it in a really financially responsible way. So if you're facing our fourth limiting belief when thinking about starting a food or beverage business that it's easy money and a fast track to success, then just remember one of my favorite mantras. This is an expression from Joe Garrard who says, the elevator to success is out of order. You'll have to use the stairs. How good is that? Moving on, we are on the very last limiting belief I'll be sharing today about starting up your own food or beverage business. And it's the assumption that, number five, it's going to be right the first time. Now, I remember when I used to work in a corporate office and we were told to follow the ethos of right first time. It kind of meant, look, don't make any mistakes or stuff ups. Always try and be perfect because we don't like how much time and effort you're wasting. But instead of improving performance, what it really did was drive a culture of real risk aversion. I mean, we were all terrified of trying anything new for fear of not getting it right the first time. So instead, what we did was play it safe and we did exactly what we'd done before to get the same predictable outcome. Uh, needless to say, it wasn't a terrific time of growth and prosperity for the business. So as a food entrepreneur, you've got to shake that expectation off of right first time and embrace the ability to learn and pivot and change. You've got to recognize that you're on this iterative learning journey and you may come to a fork in the road and require a significant change in direction. Z Shi from Ocean Deep said, I think through my story, you can see how Ocean Deep came from a failed business. So don't get discouraged and derailed from something that may not work out because just by getting into something, into that new project, just by experimenting, you open so many doors that even if one shuts, you will still be able to explore another open door somewhere else. And Sam Tucker of Tucker's Natural reminds us of the small incremental steps you can make going forward. He said, Start in the kitchen. We all do. Test recipes and those sorts of things. And then you can go to the next level, small production. And then if you're going to take the next big step, you can either invest in that capability or go find someone who has that capability to give you a head start. 
And some wise words of advice come from Harry Seacombe of Feastively. He said, Usually with food entrepreneurs, they create a product and they almost fall in love with their own product without fully understanding the customer or market challenge. My advice to anyone starting up a new food business would be to fall in love with the problem or the need in the market because the way that need or problem can be addressed might change and your product will have to adapt to those changing needs. So what's the worst that can happen? Well, the market you go into might not love your product. Your pricing might be too high or your customers don't understand it. You can't find a way to distribute it or the ingredients just aren't available. The costings do not work out. All of these things happen on a daily basis to food entrepreneurs. And the successful ones learn from those setbacks and they pivot in a new direction. It's not done easily or lightly but they do make the necessary change. So if you're facing the limiting belief that it must be right first time, then it may be more helpful to remind yourself instead of the saying by Gillian Michaels, if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. Well, we are at the end of the top five limiting beliefs about starting a food and beverage business. And you've heard lots of useful and actionable advice on how to overcome these limiting beliefs based on the experiences of the successful food entrepreneurs who have been guests on this season's podcast. And I think the overall key outtake from today is that firstly, you're not alone. And secondly, that the juice is worth the squeeze. If you're finding that starting and working in your own food and beverage business is proving to be one of the most exhilarating, frustrating, difficult and rewarding things you've ever experienced, then take heart that many other food entrepreneurs are on a similar journey and they've gone on to build vibrant, thriving and meaningful food businesses that they're really passionate about. So that's it for episode 20. And it's a wrap for season one of the Eat, Drink, Innovate podcast. I would like to say a huge thank you and shout out to all my food entrepreneur guests from this year for their generosity and sharing their stories and insights. I personally have loved getting behind the scenes and learning about your successes and challenges in building your amazing businesses. And of course, a huge thanks also to all my subscribers, listeners, and anyone who's taken the time to send me feedback and comments on the podcast. I really, really appreciate hearing from you. And I hope that you found a little bit of inspiration from each business founder story. And so what's next? Well, it's time for an end of year break. And I'll come back next year ready with a new and improved version of the Eat, Drink, Innovate podcast. I'll also be using this time behind the scenes to develop some new services for people wanting to start their own food or beverage business. If that sounds interesting to you, just drop me a line at eatdrinkinnovate.com.au. I hope you find some time to enjoy the holiday season and let's catch up again in the new year to eat, drink, and innovate together. Do you have any suggestions about successful food or beverage entrepreneurs and innovators in Australia that you think Susie should be talking to? You can get in touch with her at eatdrinkinnovate.com.au forward slash podcast. 
and find all the show note links and innovation resources there too. And if you like this podcast, please help others discover it by leaving a review on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 